Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Zach, a reporter at New Model Advisor. And I'm Alicia Hagopian, a reporter at New Model Advisor. And today we're talking about measuring the value of advice with regards to consumer duty. We're joined today by Ed Diamond, Managing Director at Met Benchmark Capital, and Holly Mackay, CEO at Boring Money. Guys, thank you both so much for coming on to the podcast. Not a problem. Good morning. Thank you. Boring Money has worked with Benchmark Capital to produce a report exploring the value of advice and has produced a framework for advice firms to use. Um, Ed, would you mind uh, talking us through, you know, your approach to um, consumer duty and why you've enlisted the help of Boring Money? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so uh, good morning, everyone. So yeah, it's um, yeah, like everyone, we're sort of very, very focused on consumer duty and um, and insurance, obviously, compliance uh, come come July and. I think whilst we're in a really good place in terms of what we need to do, we really have sort of been exercised and focused on the sort of value for money question. Uh, and that's one of the things that sort of we really wanted to get under. So I, I guess as a financial planning business, we're really confident that we really do deliver great client outcomes. And we've got fantastic case studies of stuff that we do day in, day out with our clients. And also, you know, we run sort of satisfaction surveys. We do net motor score. Our complaint levels are great. Um, um, to all the things you'd expect to sort of show that we point to sort of in, in sort of positive light. But, you know, what we see and what we hear when the regulator talks about value, they quite quickly look at price and performance. And one of the things that we really wanted to get under is actually let's, let's really try and link what we believe consumers value. Let's measure that and demonstrate that on an ongoing basis. And we think that's 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 really important. Holly, could you talk us through the sort of main insights um, that the report offers and how this can help firms? Sure. Hi, and hello, everyone. So we wanted, I guess we wanted to start from the point of view of thinking about value, but thinking about it very much in the eyes of the person who pays the fees. So talking to the end customer, and really, you know, trying to sort of get under the skin of what is it that that person values from their financial uh, advisor. So to do this, we set about, we always tend to start projects like this with some qualitative research. I guess that's just a silly way of saying talking to people. So we went out and talked to 15 kind of people and heard from them in their own words. What What is it that you value from your financial advisor? Those insights really support us then to do some more quantitative research. So we went out to a thousand advised customers and really sort of dug into very individual component parts of value. So we ended up with 27 things, which are the drivers of value for advised customers. I'll give you some example. Um, trust in your advisor was the number one thing that people value. Um, financial planning support was the second thing that, that people value. But there's a whole range of factors in there, Zach. But there's a whole range of different things that, that people ascribe value to from the performance of their portfolio. Can they get online access to it? Uh, does their advisor support them with video calls as well as in-person calls? So there were 27 sort of factors that we've identified. But what's really important, I think, is that they're not all even contributors to this. So if we look at it, trust, peace of mind, financial planning, that's a much larger component part of value actually than than fees and performance, which as Ed said in his intro comments, are the things that we tend to focus on. So we looked at these 27 component parts in the round 
And then for ease, we group them into five common denominators, which we think are the main pillars of value. And those are trust, financial planning, information and recommendations, performance and fees. So those five kind of component parts. But there's a lot sort of under, under the bonnet there, so I'm happy to sort of go into it. But I think it's really important that, you know, this is, this is nuanced. Um, it is broader than performance and fees. And also we found it differs depending on, on various factors. The most, um, the, the biggest contributor to the differences we found is age. So if we're looking at people under 55, they attribute much more value to performance. If we look at people who are coming up to retirement and at that phase, um, they value information, right? They want help to sort of know what the plan is, what's, what's, what to expect. And if we look at people who have already retired, um, then to them, it's all about the financial planning. So there, there are nuances depending on the customer, but there are certainly those common denominators of value, which we can then empirically measure and track for groups moving forward. I just like to jump in there. That's very, very interesting, Holly. Uh, I think something that I'd be really interested to know as well is with that breakdown of 1,000 advised clients that you mentioned that you surveyed, is there diversity in terms of what kind of advice firms they are using, whether it's smaller IFAs or larger consolidators or just larger advice firms? Yeah, we, we were keen to sort of get a, get a broad mix. So um, when we talk to people, from memory, there's roughly a sort of even split of those who are clients of sort of larger nationals and those who are clients of, of smaller advice firms. I think it was interesting. Only 3% of people, by the way, didn't know the answer to that question. Now, generally, when we survey people about anything to do with finance, you get a really large chunk of don't know. So I just thought it was quite interesting when I was looking through that data that this is obviously a factor about their advice um, firm that is very important to people because people were were very clued up on that. But there was a sort of even split. So we were very keen to make sure that, that we were as representative as possible with this. And I think also it's, it's interesting, isn't it, Holly, when we looked at the sort of some of that data, so those top factors around trust and peace of mind, it doesn't surprise us they are so important but just how much weight was being placed on on on, on that by the individuals. Um, I think that's a really fascinating topic, and that comes down to so much down to the individual advisor as well as the firm themselves as well. And I think that's one of the things that you know we are continue, you know, keen to continue to explore in terms of actually how does that play in terms of the, the value of advice. And it's very hard as well, Ed. It, it's one of the more nebulous parts, isn't it? So it's this sort of grey area. I think it's... Firms are struggling at the moment. How do we actually report back on that? How do we evidence it? But but you're right. And, and the other thing I think is interesting here is we also track value and have been for a number of years for asset managers. Uh, we track it for platforms as well. For those type of providers, price is much more important part of value than it is for advice firms. What you mentioned earlier, Holly, about, um, you know, different demographics of client requiring different things or attributing value to different things um reminds me of you know um consumer duties focus on client segmentation as well um 
is that something that is a, a sort of main takeaway from the report as well is is is, is simply just treating different customers differently or ra- not rather treating them differently but more so um you know placing greater focus and value on certain things depending on who they are there's definitely that complexity i mean for all providers across the spectrum is is a core understanding of who your customers are what is it that they actually want from you and how are you doing in delivering that now the good news for advice firms is it's a lot easier for them to do that than asset managers for example asset managers today we all know this, and the simple truth is they don't actually know who their end customer is. They're, they're intermediated. But there are definitely, um, I, I think there needs to be sort of segmentation done by firms. And I don't mean, you know, that, that we have to be overly complicated about it, but it was so striking, Zach. So, for example, the under 55s, they put double the weighting on performance um, than the retired audience did. And they put half the kind of importance on information um, that a retired audience did. So there's quite striking differences there. Definitely. And um, sort of, Ed, bringing you into it from the sort of firm side as well, I just wanted to talk generally about how you think uh, firms are doing in terms of consumer duty readiness. Um, You know, uh, Benchmark's working with Boring Money, and that's, you know, quite um, quite a commitment to to ensuring that consume, you know, you're ready for consumer duty. Do you think other networks are doing similar things? Do you think they are as ready as you are? Well, I, 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 well, I, again, you can only talk from your own perspective, really. So I, I guess we've taken the decision that we would go above and beyond where we thought was what was going to be required. So it's not just the work we're doing with, with, with Holly and team. We've done a lot of work in terms of market benchmarking, being to your point earlier, be really clear on the segments of clients that we work with, the propositions we deliver. How do we demonstrate and ensure that those propositions are are are, are effective, etc. Um, so yeah, we're you know we we are, are, are you know very focused on making sure we do absolutely we possibly can do. I think what's maybe a different way of answering your question is we've already seen the regulator is sort of marking people's homework. So I, I think you saw uh, the Sheldon Mills um, uh, um, speech a week or two ago after all the providers were made to um, to publish their their value statements. So they, there was the sort of April deadline. Um, they, there definitely were people who got some 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 fails uh, if, if you listen to the speech from the FCA. And I think that's probably the sort of the big takeout that we've got is you can see you've got a regulator who is going to take this not only very seriously whatever is delivered come july that they are they are going to 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 use my words mark our homework pretty seriously and so therefore you know going back to sort of the point on sort of the value of advice that's why we didn't really think it was enough just to look at some of the data that we collect today that we've gone above and beyond because we do think that that the regulator is going to um is going to expect more than just the the the, the, the sort of bare minimums and i think holly you know we were talking the other day about this i think that example where fund managers did value statements a few years ago everyone got ready for the for the deadline there was lots of regulatory feedback and almost they had to think again and i guess that's one of the things i think as a as a industry and as a profession we just need to need to avoid i think it's true i mean across the board i don't think any firm is sitting there thinking that they've got this nailed right <laughs> for going into the sort of july deadline um you know with, with su- supreme confidence it's also 
a, a juggernaut. I was talking to someone who runs a wealth management business. And we were just looking back and reflecting on the last few years, right, and everything that people have had on their plate from sort of COVID to Liz Truss's budget, the regulatory changes, consumer duty. Um, someone described it to me as consumer duty, like a Steinway piano being landing on his big toe. Um, and, and the weight and sheer scale of this, I think, is, is perhaps was underestimated by the industry last year. From my perspective, I think advice firms are typically less ready and less prepared than asset managers and platforms. In part, that's a factor of their, their size, I think, and the fact that there are more small businesses in this space. But as Ed said, you know, the regulators already come out um, with some fairly stern mood music before that first reporting deadline. So um, my sense is that uh, the regulator will be very quick after July to come out and to probably, Ed, I think, in, in broad brush way, critique the response they've seen. And so firms will need to pull their socks up. And I guess that, that, that comes to our point of that really being able to evidence that those questions around, you know, how do we help you know, and support consumer understanding? How do we deliver value? And, and, and I think and our sense is, going beyond those sort of usual sort of statistics. So, you know, and, and lots of firms quote that, you know, 98% of our customers, you know, are going to be with us in the next two years. Great. But does that, does that, does that demonstrate that you're delivering value for money? That's a really key point, I think. And Zach, that's something that we, we tackled in the report because 95% of advice customers reported satisfaction. And the average sort of advice um, NPS net promote score is plus 41, which is very, very strong. Tick job done. But the problem with that is you're asking people who are clients of the advisors. So they haven't left. Yeah. So by definition, they're kind of happy, or at least they're not very upset. So we've gone a step further and we, we help firms to track against the 27 components with the various weightings. What is our value score? But we've also introduced a concept of an excellent score, which is much more sort of stringent in what we look for. Um, and so across the board, you can see an average value score of 84 out of 100, um, but an excellent score of 73 out of 100. Now, those are for clients who have been with an advice firm for more than five years, where satisfaction tends to be. But that just gives you a sort of sense of the average, right? What's out there in the round? <clears throat> Excuse me. But... I absolutely agree with Ed. There's there's a lot. We're seeing the metric a lot that we've gone to our customer base and we've asked them if they're happy. Tick the box. Yes, they are. But I think, you know, that's that's not a particularly um, robust way to yeah. really answer that question. When we look at what we're delivering people and we look at what we're charging, are people getting good value for that? I think that's a really interesting point because it is a good question of what is value if clients don't know any better? Is it the client's position to say this is good value or this is not good value? Or is it the regulator's position to say, actually, you might think you're getting good value, but we can see that you're not. And if you're saying that, it can't be purely decided based on what the client thinks. Are there any other elements that you think can feed into how the regulator could decide value. 
Well, I think there's two aspects to that. So I, I, this is the fascinating question. So value is subjective and it's subjective to the person who consumes that service. Um, and so, and I guess, you know, if you engage with a financial planner, like other service-based um, industries, um, you know, that the value you might get out from that relationship um, and, and from the services you consume, you know, will, will, will be, be deemed differently. So, you know, for example, if I help, and one of our advisors helped someone retire five years earlier than they thought was possible, you know, putting the value on that in terms of a price, that, that could be immeasurable, you know, helping make a life-changing decision in terms of career path or um, a decision about a relationship or whether to start a family. Like, you know, these are things that, you know, how, how do you put a price on that? I mean, that's, that's a really, really fascinating question. I think so. There is definitely a subjective element where you'll only get that by understanding the consumer perspective of it. I guess on the flip side, what we have to be clear on is, is, is ultimately, could you receive a similar service for someone else and pay a, a, a an equivalent price? And, and I guess you have to look at both those those angles really. But even though I, I do think that trust, peace of mind, is such a subjective element to that as well. So I might be able to pay less money. For the same type of service but does the individual and the firm i'm dealing with give me the same view of feeling in you know feel, feel having that trust peace of mind feeling in control that's a massive question to uncover really i just was going to say I, I think it's key here to be clear the regulator is not well positioned or able to determine if value is being delivered but what they are doing. And I think it's really important in all this. We get sort of buried in the minutiae and the Excel spreadsheets, don't we? It's really important to sort of step back and go, what is the regulator worried about? Why have they done this? Um, and I think it's a really important question to, to ask. One of their mandates is competition. So they want to feel that people can shop around and make informed choices. So they want to see that firms have thought about the value question. They have looked at that in the context of what they charge, and they have looked at that in the context of the, the benefits that they deliver. So it is not their job, and they would be very bad at trying to ascertain if value had indeed been delivered. But I think what's key, and especially for the smaller firms listening, it's this doesn't have to be war and peace, I don't think, but there has to be that 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 thought process. And that 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 starts with what is it that my customer values? And that's what we've tried to help firms do. It's actually evidence it, weight it and, and sort of show it in, in proportionality as well. How are we capturing that? But then as you say, Lisa, it's sort of and, and what are the benefits we're 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 delivering to our customers for that? And how does that compare to others, right? And that is important. And the third biggest thing that the clients cared about was feeling that the fees charged by my advisor are fair for the value I get from them. So, you know, for smaller firms considering this, you know, do you know what six or seven of your local kind of competitors, do you see them as competitors? Maybe not. What, what other sort of financial advisors in your, your area are charging? Where where do you fall in that? Um, could you get together and, and and kind of, I don't know, write it on a bit of paper, drop it in a hat, draw it out? You know, if you're more expensive, fine. Um, what is it that you're doing for your customers or delivering 
that, that, that warrants that. And if it all sort of stacks up, then that's fine. But I think it's just having that, that thought process that the regulator needs to see. Well, I was going to say maybe a couple of things to add to me, which I think is really important here. So again, I'll give you a couple of examples. So some of the research that we've done with Holly and team, like information was a, was a, was one of the areas that were identified, not surprisingly, about about you know what drives value. But actually, when you drive into the specifics there, um, actually, you might think it was the sort of depth and the quality of the information. But one of the things that I was really surprised in is um, how proactive the advisor was with that information. What was something actually had a massive sort of value driver, which is don't don't wait for me to ask for it, but actually be on the front foot and be communicating in advance. And that had more weight in some cases than than sometimes the sort of depth and detail of everything you might want to provide. I think that's an interesting angle. I think then just going back to the sort of some of the reporting and metrics and where you focus, the other thing that's really important for us is a lot of where firms focus today, they are all backwards looking indicators. So number of complaints I've got um, is only a sort of a, a symptom of what I've done historically. Yeah. What I think is fascinating by some of the work that Holly and team have been doing is you start to identify those things that are more likely to be lead indicators of whether I'm doing a good job or not, which may end up leading to dissatisfaction down the line. And really understanding that, understanding those those pinch points that customers have, those points of friction that, that, that customers might perceive, and being able to address that up front is also a really important aspect of, of where we believe both the regulator would expect us to be going, but also there's also some of the research that we've done will allow advisors to do as well. And just um, moving on for a second as well, in terms of the implications of consumer duty in general, um, we've published a lot of pieces in CityWire about this, um, one of which is about consolidators and sort of value as it affects fees. Um, and of course, the question for many of these firms is that after years of acquiring different types of firms, they're left with a lot of them, um, a variety of charging models, a variety of fees, um, and now have to align that with their value and consumer duty. I wanted to ask Ed how you feel that this will affect the acquisition space. Yeah, so I think, and again, and we're a business that acquires a reasonable amount of advice businesses. We've acquired sort of forty businesses over the last few years. Um, it, it all comes down to being clear on your client proposition um, and how deeply you integrate those those businesses into what you do. So, so I guess when we acquire a business. We bring that into our, our into our proposition, and they they align to what we do within within benchmark. And I, and I do see other consolidators following that same same path. I think it becomes more complex for those businesses that have not not chosen to integrate. And I guess you've got to have to be clear in consumer duty world why why that is the case, and why you might have under one brand even one one regulatory structure a model whereby you have got very different service propositions with different charging. Um, again, I don't think it's just a consolidation issue. I think any business where you're not clear on the segments of clients that you're targeting with what proposition and being able to prove how you deliver that, that that that's not just a consumer duty issue. That's That's been there for some time on the target market. Um, you know, that, that's what advisors should be doing today, but I think consumer duty is going to reinforce that. We've definitely seen over the last few years, we have a very data-led regulator now, and they want to continue to consume data. They want evidence. And we expect that just to be a continued flavor once once consumer duty um, uh, comes comes into fall. Um, so we, we definitely think that will be one. And that's where I think, whether it's ourselves or any firm, 
just being prepared that you are, are, are able to support that evidence base, that data set that's going to going to be required from the regulator. I think we also know the regulator tends to go go to the big firms first, and that that is going to be going to be the sort of starting point as well. I'm sure they will work out you know where where the most significant firms are that could con- you know, include some of the big national consolidator type firms as well. That that will be the starting point really. I think that's that's the question as well. That's the big question that you've talked about in your report. You've got 27 drivers of value and all these different nuances based on who the client is, for example. So how do you evidence that? And what do you think the regulator is looking for in terms of data? Do you think they're just looking for you to have made the effort or they're looking for something specific? Well, I think they, they will want to see something specific and, and the whole program of, of research we did has been set up that we can hand that to our clients they can embed it um, into their processes is moving forward they can engage with customers and collect this sort of feedback and and you can actually build build those metrics um, to support it and give them the appropriate weighting record for your customer base so you know whether it's by incorporating it in annual use or in sort of ongoing comms with, with clients, however firms tra- choose to actually collect that that data. Um, you know, to Ed's point, we, we are data-led, and I, I think that's not a bad thing for firms because it's really important. We all need to do it. Anyone that runs a business needs a set of metrics to sit down with every quarter or something and say, how are we doing? And also, how are we doing against peers, right? And the regulator has actually come up quite recently and said this. We're not just looking for you guys to look in the round at how you're doing. We also want to know how you're doing against a peer group. Now, I think in that particular instance, they were talking about fees and charges, but I think it will be sort of across the board because, you know, take take our example earlier, 95% of advised clients say they're satisfied. So if you're reporting 90% satisfaction and running around high-fiving everyone, um, maybe it's time to think again. So I think... Um, you know, we've we've tried to sort of set up this framework so we're handing it over to our clients and helping them to actually implement it so it becomes a living, breathing part of how they collect stuff, which ultimately should be useful because it says, where are we doing really well? Where are we not doing so well? So where do we need to focus our development spend and budgets for the year ahead? And it might be worth then explaining how we then use that then to just bring that to life. So we've taken... Uh, the boring money framework we're going to use the question set that's been identified and tested and the model that then has all the weightings that are associated with with what 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 client values and we're going to use that on an ongoing basis with our clients so essentially going back to you know value is subjective and we're going to only really find this out by talking to our clients we are we are going to go out on an ongoing basis and talk to our clients about this but use that framework in a systematic and independent way of testing and then that gives us an ability to then look across all our advisors that we work with to be able to say, actually, how are we doing overall as a firm? Actually, advisor by advisor, let's look and see whether, you know, there are either trend competency issues, whether there's style issues, whether there are conduct issues that we need to think about so that we can that we can that we can compare, you know, across you know, what we do advisor by advisor. Definitely. Um, well, that seems like a great note to end on. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming in. Holly and Ed from Benchmark Capital and Boring Money. Thanks, guys. It's been fascinating and I think hugely useful for our listeners.
Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to see you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Advice Show. For any questions, please feel free to tweet us at New Model Advisor or email us at nma team at citywire.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.